Peace, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Behold Pop Culture, the show where we take a look at some prominent people, figures, and events from pop culture today and in the past and try and see what lessons we could take away from them. The date of this recording is Friday, October the 2nd. I'm your host, Messiah, and today we have a full slate ahead of us with the sports world having one of the biggest weekends that I've ever experienced. But before that, I want to check in on everyone, make sure everyone's doing well. We're seeing the coronavirus numbers start to increase a little bit. But as always, you need to just take care of yourself, your family, just make sure that everything's healthy within you. It's easy to stray and get distracted with a lot of the things taking place. But at the end of the day, if you're both mentally and physically healthy, you'll make it out all right. And with that being said, we can begin with the sports section where I'll first address the UFC fight that I did my experimental promo for last week. This fight that I amped up that I projected to be one of the best fights this year ended up being just a clinic for having high martial arts IQ. The reigning defending champion Israel Adesanya The Nigerian simply picked apart his challenger, Paolo Costa's legs. Bow, bow, bow. Just continuing to wear them down until his movement was staggered. And when the moment was right, boom. It was good night for Paolo Costa. And the champion gloated. He ran around the ring. He danced as he knew that this was the one. It cemented him as a true champion. This was supposedly, allegedly, his biggest fight to date. And he he disposed of him in less than two rounds. And with that, we have the coming of a new king in the UFC. There's plenty of champions that have came and gone, but every once in a while we get this experience where there's a loudmouth champion, for lack of a better term. We saw it with Conor McGregor. We saw it with Ronda Rousey. There's some fighters that are spectacles to watch. Aside from the fact that he's a phenomenal fighter, a master of many arts, he has this energy about him. He taunts his enemies. He jokes in the press conferences. He gets on Twitter and just starts to embarrass the people that he's facing. He's built this aura around him that I compared him to those fighters because this aura has made it so that the day that he loses, if he ever loses, it will be a great downfall. He's built himself up on a pedestal and the more wins he accumulates, the higher it becomes. It's that of an inflated ego. But I say that to say that you listening right now, I don't advise you to get involved in those theatrics in your own lives. Of course, in these sports, football, basketball, UFC, it's important for your stars to be stars. They have to embody the role. But oftentimes, we can get involved in those practices in ways that can be detrimental. 
when you get a hundred on an exam and you think you're all that, when you outperform a coworker and believe you're suddenly entitled, your confidence should come from within you. And once you come to terms with that, your joy and success will forever be self-defined. And a player who I believe epitomizes this is LeBron James, who this weekend, along with the Miami Heat, closed out his series and won his 10th birth to the NBA Finals. 10 times has he been to the NBA Finals. It's absurd. But with this, of course, the media has to do what it does, make their predictions, talk about how they believe that his legacy is on the line, etc., etc. So I won't engage in those talks because everyone who has any involvement with sports is going to be talking about LeBron's legacy being on the line. And at this point, it just comes down to what you believe in terms of who's the best player, who's top 10. The discussions just become who's qualified to even be in that conversation, as far as I'm concerned. But for this specific series, I had projected for the Lakers to win in six. That was a pretty popular pick, so in no way am I saying that I was being contrarian, but in game one, we saw two of the best players on the Heat go down and... The Lakers went up by 30 points. The Heat tried to come back and close the gap, but in the end, there was too much for them to overcome. Now, the easy pick here would be to say the Heat are going to get swept in four. They can't do anything with their two best players other than Jimmy Butler and Goran Dragic, who's supposedly out for the series. Bam Adebayo, who hurt his shoulder and is all but certain to miss game two at minimum. But I won't be saying that today. The reason I compared LeBron's perspective on what he does to the opposite of what the UFC fighter Israel Adesanya does is because of something I heard LeBron say in his press conference. It was a reference that I've thought about time and time again. And it's a reference that has continued to be true throughout the history of time. In the press conference following this game where the Lakers apparently easily handled the Miami Heat in game one, the reporters, as they should, questioned, how does it feel? Do you think that it's going to be an easy series for you? Are you already thinking about going home, being with your children? And LeBron made the perfect response that a leader of any team in any field should say. Of course, the job's not finished, but what exactly does that mean? Is it just stay focused? No. LeBron's response was to reference a time, his second time ever being in the NBA Finals. LeBron assembled a team with two phenomenal all-star players in Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. They teamed up in Miami to be a super team. They were expected to win By his own projection, 10 plus rings. And year one, they struggled, but they still made it to the finals. And what happened? A team that no one expected to win the championship in the Dallas Mavericks, led by former superstar Dirk Nowitzki, beat them. Not even in seven games, but in six. 
And like this podcast, LeBron learned from his transgressions. They went up big in a game two. I believe he said 17 points. They were up by 17 points in the fourth quarter. LeBron felt confident. His partner in crime, D. Wade, felt confident. And what happens? Dirk Nowitzki, the German shooter, a man whose his shot was scientifically engineered perfectly for his height, weight, arm length, started spraying them, along with an unexpected hero in Jason Terry, a great rebounder and defender at the time in Tyson Chandler. And before LeBron could blink, the Dallas Mavericks won the game on a game-winner, game-winning layup from Dirk Nowitzki. The momentum shifts. LeBron doesn't make the shots that he expected to make. And Dallas wins a championship. It's the classic Turtis and the Hare story that I'm sure you are familiar with. But again, sometimes it doesn't resonate until reality hits, until you see it for the first time. The lesson within that, LeBron decided was, I'm not going to tell my team that it's over, that you can let the gas up a little bit. You have to go 3,000% the entire series and rest when the job is finished, a mentality that the late, great Kobe Bryant was known for. And of course, his legacy is going to be in question, as the media is going to harp on, but that can't be in his line of focus. His focus is just getting these wins. So does this mean that I believe the Lakers sweep the heat? No, because whenever I go into my projections, One of the most important things that I look for is, do I believe that this team has the heart to win it all? I've seen plenty of great teams come and go because they didn't have the chemistry, the heart, all of the intangibles. And while I believe that the Lakers are one of the most talented, if not the most talented team in the league, though they are top heavy, I must admit that I believe The Miami Heat have every intangible that you look for in a team capable of an upset. The chemistry, the heart, the good defense, the great coach, the things that a casual fan may not be able to suss out. Do I believe the Heat will win? No. But I give the Heat two games still with the injuries because I can easily see the Heat getting on a run where the momentum is so strong and their defense starts to clamor down in a way that disrupts the Lakers' entire game plan for at least one or two games. I'm willing to bump back my projection to Lakers in five because of the injuries, but I will not count the Heat out. I do not believe this will be a cakewalk for the Lakers. It reminds me of, we see a lot of controversy surrounding the recruitment process for jobs, sports, internships. We see the recruitment process get a lot of backlash because they weigh heavily on things that were created by a system. 
GPAs, awards, things that don't necessarily dictate a person's ability. And statistics have shown that more people have been missed because they didn't meet a artificial criteria than people have been found because they met it. The system isn't perfect, just like talent isn't everything in the NBA. But a league where talent is seeming to be everything is the NFL, where for the third straight week, we have witnessed domination from these NFL offenses. Touchdowns for everyone. Fantasy football has been going crazy. I've been seeing the betting market explode. The stocks for these apps like DraftKings, FanDuel, where you could pick players and compete have been at an all-time high. I'm not sure whether it's to the credit of the corona conditions or to the credit of players stepping up, but it's been entertaining to say the least. And as I have the past few weeks, I've brought some narratives that I wanted to address. The one that needs to come first in light of these offenses is the new hashtag, let Russ cook. A hashtag that had had some steam before the season referring to Russell Wilson, the quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks. A player who was known to have been one of the most, if not the most, talented quarterback in the National Football League. But his offense was never built for him to put up astronomical numbers. And with the Seattle Seahawks defense being anything but great, they've relied much more on Russell Wilson to step up offensively, resulting in a 14 touchdown. Yes, I'm reading this right. 14 touchdowns over three weeks, putting him on pace for 70 plus touchdowns on the season. Absolutely ridiculous. Just lighting these defenses up at will. I doubt that he maintains this pace, but it's been something special to watch. As he ascends, a person who's never gotten a single MVP vote is starting to receive the praise that he's always deserved. And likewise, a big game took place on Monday, tying up this weekend where lots of events were taking place in sports. The Kansas City Chiefs, led by $500 million man Patrick Mahomes, took on the reigning defending NFL MVP Lamar Jackson in a game that was expected to be filled with fireworks, and the Kansas City Chiefs locked Lamar down. Nowhere to run, nowhere to pass. The offense looked absolutely horrid. He couldn't do anything and neither could his receivers. His offensive line was getting demolished. While on the other side of the ball, an MVP himself, Patrick Mahomes, lit up the Ravens defense for five touchdowns. He's their franchise quarterback for a reason. It's nothing new here to see Patrick Mahomes be great. He just came off winning a Super Bowl. Winning a Super Bowl in his second year starting in the NFL, he is on pace for an absolutely amazing NFL career. 
There's more small stories with players such as Josh Allen, Jared Goff, these offenses getting going. The gambling industry is at an all-time high. They love what is going on. The profit, I'm sure, is through the roof as people are getting attached to these games and love to watch and hope that their players perform. Unfortunately, all of this great offense entertainment was met by a scary moment for the NFL. The Tennessee Titans were found to have had two to three cases of the coronavirus after playing in a game against the Minnesota Vikings. And what this means is the NFL had its first corona outbreak. As of today, they found, I believe, five more players that tested positive for the coronavirus. And this obviously led to them canceling the Tennessee Titans game this week. Unfortunately, at the detriment of the Pittsburgh Steelers, who are receiving a week four bye. And for those who are unfamiliar with byes, the NFL designates a week for each team where they have this week off usually around the middle of this 16-game regular season. The best time to have it is week 8 because it's right in the middle where you could treat the beginning of the season as its own thing and the second as another. But having the bye in week 4 is essentially useless. You're just getting a little bit of rest in the beginning, but you're going to have to go 12 straight games with no rest. It's unfortunate for the Steelers, but the Tennessee Titans couldn't play. They still don't know what the status is on all of their players. They need to clean the facilities out. It's too much of a health risk as far as the NFL is concerned. This is something to keep your eyes on because if the NFL ultimately continues to have cases like this, I know that they're doing everything in their power. We cannot just see the NFL have to at least consider shutting down, but this could derail the momentum towards other things opening up, most notably schools. Let's hope that the NFL could get a hold of the situation because it has legitimate potential consequences if they don't handle it. Luckily, one industry that has continued to find a way throughout these conditions and can't be necessarily shut down by a corona outbreak, has been the music industry, where the albums that I mentioned last week were nothing too notable, some solid songs, but I found that this week has a little bit more promise. We have rapper 21 Savage and now big-time producer Metro Boomin dropping their album Savage Mode 2. That's likely to be the most talked-about release of the week, Again, assuming that it delivers. We have California rapper YG dropping his new album, My 400 Life. Lesser known upstate New York rapper Westside Gun dropping an album, Who Made the Sunshine. And lastly, Bryson Tiller dropping a new project called Anniversary. And I plan to listen to all four of these. These are the main releases coming out this week. But without anything that's groundbreaking, it led me to a question I wanted to address today. 
a question that I'm sure is on the minds of many artists in light of the current conditions. And that question is, do you need to release albums every year to remain relevant? Will you potentially be affecting your career if you take a step back to assess and potentially come out with a higher quality project? Now, I wrote down some people that I wanted to address and somewhat pit against each other here, all in fun and games, to just raise these questions. The first of which is the baby, a rapper that we've seen grow into prominence over the last two years, beginning with the hit song Suge going viral after he got signed. Since that moment, we've gotten four projects from him. Plenty of singles that have been going everywhere, music videos, just an endless supply of content. And based on what he's portraying, not saying that everything you see is true, but based on what he's portraying, his money is fine. But is this the right way to go? One running joke that they had on the baby was that every single song sounds exactly the same. It's the same flow, same type of beat. And within every joke, there's a little bit of truth. I do believe that he was, he believed he found something that worked and continued to run with it as much as he could. However, he's starting to diversify now. He's experimenting with all these different sounds to try and see where he could take this music thing. Not saying that he's aiming to be the best who ever did it, but I am a fan of experimentation. But the question today is, was that necessary? Would he have fallen out of the eyes of the people if he didn't release so much content? The most stark dichotomy, in my opinion, was the recent release by Lil Uzi Vert, the Philly rapper. His album, Eternal Take, coming after a three-year hiatus, was one of the highest-selling albums of this year. After being gone for so long, barely releasing any music, complaining about his record label, hopefully understandably so, he drops Eternal Take spontaneously and puts up superstar numbers. Would that have been different if he was releasing every year? I am here to say that I believe the answer is yes. The problem here is, and I'm using problem lightly because at the end of the day, if you're making your money, I'm sure that there's little to complain about. But the problem here is when you're releasing too frequently, you can do one of two things. You can end up putting out amazing music and overextend yourself to the point where you're on your way to crashing in a way that you've built a pattern for your fans and throwing them out of that pattern can damage your base or you forego high quality for high quantities and ultimately hope that you can survive off of singles at the detriment of the longevity of your career. I haven't seen many cases in between those for artists who chose to go the quantity way. But in my evaluation, artists who have chosen to move on their own time, 
put their projects together and truly believe in it, have reaped the most benefits. If you look at the artists that have survived the longest, for a long time in the music industry, it was standard practice for you to release a single before you release your album to build up hype and get everyone ready for the album. But in today's streaming era where you can pick what you want to listen to at any time, any moment, I don't believe that's necessary anymore. When you can have millions of options at your fingertips at will, contrary to what record labels may have you believe, I think that quality is more important than ever. It's easier than ever to turn off a song if you hear some trash. Before you have a CD in your player or your car and you have to eject the CD and do all of this or skip the song or wait for it to play out. Nowadays, if I hear a song that is straight garbage, I can skip the song or find something completely different to listen to in less than 10 seconds. With that luxury, I think that artists who you've seen fail throughout the music industry's existence are failing at a faster rate than ever. When you look at artists that were one-hit wonders, artists that may have been able to salvage a three-year career out of one hit, now have cut that down to maybe being able to survive for a year. There's just too much music available for you to sit around listening to undesirable music. The great thing about this time is where before the labels and the artists could decide what was going to be the hit song on their projects, now you decide. Whatever song you like becomes the hit. And that's why we've seen a lot now artists release their album and two to three months after they start filming music videos because they see what is resonating with the people. You can get real numbers in an industry overpopulated by fake numbers. Today, I can think a podcast episode is the greatest thing in the world, but it takes you to make it great. You listening to it, you saying that it's great, you thinking that it's great, you telling me that it's great, makes it great. Now more than ever, we should celebrate these relationships between fans and creatives, where now you play an important role in these artists' careers. Before, they just told you what song was a hit. They crafted the Billboard Top 100 and all of these lists, and you just had to accept it. While before, singles seemingly could never flop because you could just play a song 10 times consecutively on a radio. Today, if you go the single route, you need to have someone in your corner with an incredible ear for music that tells you what's right and what's wrong. In that same vein, the film industry, an industry that at the moment has been, for all intents and purposes, stagnant. Though there are TV shows that are continuing to put up semi-decent numbers, there hasn't been any explosive noteworthy moments taking place because streaming has become oversaturated. There's so many shows that, for one, to diverge the attention of so many people, 
to command the timelines at will, you have to have an insane marketing plan that works. The most recent show that I saw do this to some extent was Lovecraft County. But even then, it leveled off rather quickly, maybe four or five episodes in. The funny thing to me is that people for the last few years have been expressing a belief that the cable industry was going out of business, that streaming was going to eliminate the need for cable television. Though they've seen a number decrease I believe that these streaming services will follow a similar track record as cable. The only revolution, if it's even meriting that name, is that now we can watch things at will more easily. The on-demand feature on television has existed for a while now. It just never has been as streamlined, easy-to-use, easy-to-read, great interface as services like Netflix, Amazon Prime, etc., etc. If anything, in my opinion, were to suffer numbers-wise, I believe that the need to be there the second that a show comes out, if it's not live, can pretty much be done. They don't need to put that in their plan anymore, but that doesn't mean you can't have a successful show by just allowing it to be streamed on a specific date. The evolution that I see going forward is these shows that are kind of in between. You have your full-blown live events, which usually is preserved for sports and things of that nature. And then you have your regular shows that it doesn't matter when and where you watch it, especially with the new culture around binging. I believe both ends of the spectrum meet where we can have A show, we'll take Dancing with the Stars, for example. A show that claims to depend on voting from fans in order to power it, in addition to the obvious views from fans. What if we see a service where Netflix puts Dancing with the Stars out on the specific date? But from that date of the release for a full day, they have an option in the menu where you could vote give your vote on who should stay, and they could have fun with it. They could show trending votes, not showing you exactly who has the most votes. Just have a system built in place where you could easily interact with the show. And I could see something like that bringing a new type of life to that genre of show, where these shows Dancing with the Stars, American Idol, these dancing shows have ended up in somewhat of a a nexus a gray area where they don't they don't want to move to streaming but again they're not garnering the same viewership from regular television it's an interesting conversation i would love to hear what you think about it as i'm also curious as to whether anyone listening was able to secure a console for the gaming fans The console scramble has somewhat died down now as everyone who got it got it and unless another unexpected release takes place, all signs point to the release dates in November for these next-gen consoles. As we look at what took place, the good and the bad, 
The only takeaway is that the gaming industry is as strong as ever. And we're going to move into a time where it's more widely accepted in popular culture. As we see the rise of esports, these competitive gaming industries, these teams that are getting signed, people are starting to make millions of dollars. It's a great projection and industry that if you're an investor or just interested in seeing what the future will hold, it's something to keep your eyes on. I was reading an article from CNBC that was talking about how video game prices are set to make their first jump in a long time from the industry standard of $60 to $70, a change that could result in tremendous financial gains for major publishers. The quality of these games are getting so great that many of these publishers feel they aren't receiving the compensation for the level of work being put in. And I have to agree, with the look of the next generation of gaming, these games look like movies. And movies are only two to three hours on average, and these games are 20-plus hour movies that you can play in. A movie ticket is $15 to $20, a video game is $60. That $40 difference is significant, but I can easily see why a publisher will feel they aren't being compensated. If you look at the comparison, if you take a two to three hour movie and you multiply that by the 20 hours, that's a 10 times difference in the amount of content they're giving you. And you add in the fact that this is all being programmed, these games take a long time to make. $70 is nothing crazy in my opinion. I know that there's been some people discussing, oh, why are they raising the money? Are these companies greedy? I just think an industry that's booming deserves to be compensating its employees. Because while I know that at the end of the day, the biggest difference is for the heads of the companies, I would hope, I would expect That this trickles down to the people that you don't see. The people at the bottom of the credits that you know won't get the recognition they deserve who work hard on these games. They deserve to be appropriately compensated. And I hope that this change will help them out a little bit. We're seeing a projection for total revenue of $159.3 billion for the industry this year. And with the boost coming from the COVID conditions, it would be wise for you to stay aware of this business because it's not going anywhere. This has repercussions for all generations of people. You, your parents, who might be just playing a game on their phone. We saw what happened with Candy Crush. For those who remember that, a game that wasn't necessarily targeted towards children We saw people 50, 60, 70 having plenty of fun with that. And soon VR reality is going to enter the main stage as well, where you could potentially be in your living room, put on a VR headset and be in France walking down the street. Some interesting things are taking place. And as always, I will keep my eye on it. And with that being said, we come to the end of this episode. Thank you, as always, for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Leave a like, leave a review. Let me know what you think if you like this episode. And I continue to appreciate the people that are coming out every day to listen to this. 
I try and keep you guys in the loop with what's going on in the culture. And I continue to learn myself every single day as I believe you should. And that is all today. I'll talk to you next week. This is Behold Pop Culture.